I love the talking guy show. I hear two guys talking. 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 Two guys talking are here. I hear two guys talking. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. Dissection. It's the process of pulling things apart. Whether it's a feature film, a character, a creature, or even a genre, the base meaning stays the same. It's all about the pieces parts. Horror means a variety of things to different people. For some, it instills fear. For others, it turns stomachs with unimaginable sights. Still, for others, horror provides access to a generally untapped realm of creative writing, dynamic pitfalls, and unforgettable characters. But sadly, sometimes horror falls flat. Tonight, two guys talking horror will open our doctor bags, grab our rusty scalpels and rib spreaders, and dig for everything it's worth on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Hello everybody, I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, one of your hosts. And I'm Jason Contini, your other host. Oh, Jason, I'm glad that you're here for this. Glad to be here. This is great stuff. We're going to be delving into dissecting horror. Talk Talk about terrifying. terrifying. We've got a lot to get to, but first, let's hit a little bit of housekeeping. The Predator Perspective Review. Now, some of you may not know, but here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, we do perspective reviews. Lots and lots of movies. Not a lot of horror movies yet, but we're getting to that. Since I consider sci-fi horror a subgenre, how ironic, we're talking about the subgenres of horror, space creatures. The Predator is a monster, would you agree? Absolutely, he's a monster. All right, he's a monster. So, therefore... The Predator would fall under the umbrella of Two Guys Talking Horror. So, anybody who enjoys The Predator, whether it be Predator 1, Predator 2, Predators, or those films where the Predator went up against those alien creature things on Earth and stuff happened, and oh god, those movies were so bad. But anyway, over here at the Two Guys Talking Perspective Reviews, they have... A perspective review of Predator, the original Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator movie, which I feel is is probably the best out of the series of Predator films. No question. Go listen to it. You won't regret listening to the Two Guys Talking perspective review of Predator. 
And the fun thing about uh, perspective reviews is we're actually gearing up to do a whole bunch of horror-based perspective reviews, and we're going to do a perspective review of Predator 2, which is considered the black sheep of the, the Predator films, but here's the boom. We know somebody who was in the film. Even better than that, we know somebody who was a Predator in the film. And we are going to have that person on the show with us talking about his experience as a Predator on Predator 2. All coming soon from the two guys talking horror perspective reviews. Fang Banger Podcast Review. Now, I don't know how many of you are True Blood fans. Jason, True Blood fan? Never really was a True Blood fan too much. I've watched a couple episodes here and there, but outside of things like Lost Boys and Fright Night, the vampire thing just never really kind of clicked with me. Mm. Ironically enough. Ironically. Very ironic. I've never read any of the books. I have watched the show. Uh, I did watch the first two seasons of the show. I didn't have access to cable anymore. <laughs> kind of, Kind of didn't have a... Didn't have a choice. That'll do it to you. No, I, I've heard that the show got a little wacky after season two. Uh, luckily enough, there is the Fang Banger podcast, which is a complete episode review of True Blood from season three on to its uh, its its epic finale, which just happened uh, about a year, two years ago, something like that. Something like that. Not long. Not long at all. So. The great thing about it is is that now that the show is over, I now have an opportunity to be able to go back, watch from season three, and have this great perspective review to go back and learn even more things that I didn't know, thanks to the Fang Banger podcast here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Check it all out, folks, at fangbangerpodcast.com. The many subgenres of horror. I could sit here and list off every possible subgenre of horror, and this would turn into a five-hour-long podcast. Not to mention the fact that each subgenre itself has multiple subgenres beneath it. Exactly, it, a genre within a genre within a genre. If you get extremely picky, you could actually go as far as pulling non-horror films into the horror genre, just because somebody's running around with a knife trying to stab somebody. I necessarily wouldn't put most of those films in there. Uh, some of them. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs I would consider a horror-like film. A, a thriller, a terror film, if you will. Certainly, absolutely. In fact, I, I consider it a full-out horror film, no question. I think primarily just because it won the Oscar, and it's nice to be able to say that a horror film actually won some sort of a high prestigious award. <laughs> oh, yeah, so. but if you actually talk to the filmmakers, they, they would refuse to even try to say that it's considered a horror film sure. because of the fact that it won the Oscar. But yes, I agree. It's definitely a horror movie. You got a guy running around, killing women, taking their skins to make a suit. If that ain't horror, I don't know what is. I'm thinking, and this is just my personal opinion, that... One of the reasons why there are so many subgenres of horror is that that way everybody can be able to say, I like horror movies, but only these types of horror movies. You know, I might have to disagree with you on that. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, you know, I think that the reason that there are so many subgenres is because I believe that we have some sort of inherent need to label everything. And, you know, you, you, can, you can say that, let's say Nightmare on Elm Street. I personally would consider that. A slasher film. 
Now, a lot of people who maybe aren't as familiar with horror films might consider a lot of Wes Craven's stuff from the 80s slasher films. And I guess in one giant umbrella genre category, yeah, I guess that could work. But, you know, I feel in order to really label it the way that people really want to, you have to then create these subgenres that it would then fit into. Interesting point, interesting point. That's where we ask you, what do you think, folks? Why do you think that there are so many subgenres to the horror category? Is it because we are obsessed with labeling things? Or is it just because there's so much horror out there, it's hard to differentiate? Let us know by going over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you think. Talk about terrifying. What four will we be talking about and why? Jason, we could list all of the subgenres and talk about them in depth, but we all have things to do. So we're going to narrow it down. And one of the reasons why I've picked these four, these four goodies, is because they are popular, but also unpopular with purists of the horror genre. And the four that I'm talking about, sci-fi horror, found footage, torture porn, and micro-budget horror. Ah, micro-budget horror. Jason and I have a personal stake in micro-budget horror films, but we will get to that when we get to that. <laughs> sci-fi horror. A lot of people would try to argue that sci-fi horror does not exist. If it's science fiction, it's science fiction. I disagree completely. I disagree, too. And it's funny that you say that, because up until this last Halloween, I never really noticed that people would argue that point. But over the last few months, I've been noticing it more and more. So for me, being that that's a new thought, I, I find it hard to wrap my brain around it. Why can't the two mix? I don't understand. Exactly. Why can't they mix? I mean, there are, there are reasons that, I mean, if it's aliens, sure, science fiction. But if these aliens are ripping somebody apart in a very creepy way, then, yeah, that's horrific. Well, and I often, personally, I often equate mood and tone and feeling with horror and with with all genres of film really so you know anything that evokes a horrific or terrifying emotion from its storytelling i, I figure that that kind of fits under that banner of horror hmm. be it sci-fi or western or you know even just thrillers and dramas and you know political espionage i mean if it gets into this this state where it uses the techniques of film at its disposal to manipulate and garner a specific emotion mm -hmm. then that that to me is horror so i don't understand it you know it could it could easily connect well the, i think that maybe some of the some of the naysayers for sci-fi horror are looking at some of the earlier works that would cross over between the science fiction genre and the horror genre a perfect example nostalgia reasons really as a child, some things might seem more horrific than they do when we're adults. Case in point, the film Critters. <laughs> you laugh, <laughs> you laugh, and you should, because now, as adults, Critters is a pretty ridiculous film. But as a child, I remember watching Critters, little tiny aliens landing on Earth and devouring meat. They only want meat, and the more they eat, the bigger they get. 
That's terrifying in my eyes. As a child who had to walk through a dark backyard to take the trash out, I, I heard the critters everywhere. They were, they were all over the place. And I knew if I didn't move fast enough to dump that trash in the garbage can, they were going to get me. I was going to be feasted upon. You watch the movie now, and it's, it, it's, it's full of cheese. But it's still considered science fiction horror. Because people are being eaten. People are being eaten by these aliens. So, yeah, it's horror. I would say that something like that, you could even say a movie like Jurassic Park, for that matter, which is sci-fi and horror, in my opinion. You're talking about dinosaurs, which do not exist anymore, and are genetically created through uh, very, very heavy science fiction (laughs) methods, are are also going around and and eating people. And again, the use of lighting, much how, how it is used in Critters, although two opposite ends of the spectrum of quality (laughs) it's still trying to do the same thing it's still trying to as you said terrify Mm -hmm. and that fits right well think about other films like slither slither is a science fiction film but also a horror film it's it's uh, an alien parasite comes down to earth has this weird infectious slug things that jump into people's bodies take them over and they're now dead. They're dead bodies. So also kind of a zombie movie. So sci-fi zombie horror movie. But it also has a little bit of comedy, which is great because the dire- writer-director of Slither, James Gunn. Local boy. Local boy. St. Louis local boy. He gets he gets the fact that, that horror has to have a little bit of comedy. Sci-fi horror has to have a little bit of comedy or else you're not really going to buy the horror and, and the science fiction aspects of it. Heck of a nice guy, too, just as a FYI to anyone wondering. Now, if you want to get into real science fiction horror, ah, there's one movie. One movie I remember growing up that terrified me. Absolutely terrified me. Probably the same movie that I'm thinking of. Event Horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Event Horizon is the exorcist equivalent to sci-fi horror. I can, I can get behind that. Loose premise is uh, the ship goes missing, and it's the far future where we're traveling in space. Ship goes missing, and after a certain amount of years, oh, the ship turns back up. So a team of rescuers, led by uh, good old Lawrence Fishburne, accompanied by uh, with uh, Sam Neill, they head out, and they find it deserted, and horrific things have happened. And it, it, we proceed to get this glimpse into... Space hell, or something like that. It was just absolutely bone chilling. Those there's some scenes in that movie that even today unnerve me. Oh God, the sequence with the eyes, just uh, oh, oh. oh, that that will always stick with me. Just those those hollowed out. Uh, uh. Yes, but if we're going to talk about true sci-fi horror, there's one movie above all others that is the granddaddy of them all. And many, I would think, even consider it to be one of the granddaddies of the horror genre itself. Definitely. We are talking about Ridley Scott's original Alien. Now, this movie, if you break it down, this movie is a a monster-in-the-house movie. Only that house is out in space in a spaceship, and that monster is this horrific-looking alien creature who goes around picking people off one by one by one not only is this movie the definitive example of sci-fi horror 
It is also one of the many films of that time period that gave us the kick-ass heroine that is very popular in almost all horror genres that there are. And that's when we ask you, the audience, what film as a child in the sci-fi horror genre gave you the heebie-jeebies? What just made your skin crawl? Is it any of the ones that we've mentioned? Did we forget one? Head on over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere over on the right to fill out our short web form and let us know what you think. <laughs> Found footage. Now, this particular subgenre is relatively new. It's only, I would say, maybe about 20 years old, maybe less. Technically, yes. I believe that there are a few examples of found footage films that predate 1990, but they're very few and far between mm. and very little known. Right. Yeah. No, I think the found footage craze really is credited with starting in 1999. Oh, yes. And which movie was that, Jason? The Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project. Ah, I am not a fan. Uh, nor am I. I, you know, I got swept up into the whole hype of that movie. And by the time I actually went and saw the film, I, I knew by then that it was fake. I mean, a lot of other people that I went with were still believing that it was an, a true story. But by the time I saw it in the theater, I knew that it was faked. And boy, I tell you, the, the first half of that movie, I was in. I was hooked. I was on the edge of my seat. And the first attack in the tent just really grabbed me like nothing I had ever seen before, and I thought, wow, we are seeing something truly innovative here. Mm. And then for the rest of the film, it was just the same thing. You know, that first scene in the tent, when you just see the, the outline of the hands scratching at the outside of the tent, and it's noises, and, and they don't know what's going on, and they're freaking out, and oh my god, being an avid camper at the time myself, I, I thought, man, I know exactly how that feels right. to be right there with them. And then the next scene... It was the same thing. It was some noises and some scratching on the tent, and and then some more noises and some more scratching on the tent, and and by the end of the film, the camera just falls over. I, I it didn't do anything for me. <laughs> Halfway through the film, I I lost it, and I I I don't know that I've ever really gotten it back for that movie. I, I think it's done for me. I was totally in when the movie first came out, just before it came out. I bought into the hype, almost like everybody else. One of the reasons why I bought into that hype is uh, the Sci-Fi Channel at the time actually put out a really short documentary that evidently had a bunch of footage that wasn't in the movie, but was still caught by these three lost filmmakers. I remember that. I remember uh, not long after it aired on Sci-Fi Channel, I think they released a VHS of it, and I remember, I think I saw it on the VHS. I, I remember one of the, the great thing about the, the Sci-Fi documentary was that it just pulled you in, and when that movie came out, I lived out in the country in southern Missouri, middle of nowhere. So <laughs> my front yard was the woods. My backyard was the woods. I was surrounded by woods. <laughs> Everywhere you went, you saw little bundles of twigs. Exactly. And I was, I was scared. I was really scared about this movie until about two days before it came out. I was completely ready to go to the theater and lay down my money and go and see it until watching television one night, I see a Steak and Shake commercial and there she is, the lead actress from the Blair Witch Project, the, the, the girl who's supposed to have been missing for years, is trying to sell me a chili five-way. Hey, Heather Donahue's got to eat, man. She had to collect that paycheck. I, I agree, 
But Miss Donahue could have at least waited four days. <laughs> four days for me to break the illusion that the Blair Witch Project was nothing but a bunch of BS. And that's where we ask you, what did you think about the Blair Witch Project? Did you did you fall for it? Were you part of the masses that believed that this was true? Or did it just fall flat for you? Let us know by going over to twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side, fill out that short little web form, and let us know what you think. Now, the Blair Witch Project is responsible, in my mind, for the craze of the found footage genre. Now, found footage genre has given us some memorable and not-so-memorable films in the last 20 years or so. Fresh in my mind is probably the Paranormal Activity movies. Yeah, what are uh, there, 7, 8, 30 of them? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think there's five? Did, did the fifth one, I think the fifth one might have just came out. Or the sixth one? Because there's one, two, three, four, there's a side movie, and then this last movie. I don't know. You know what? Who cares? Because great concept, but it's a movie series that does the exact same thing over and over and over again. I'll give the series credit. There are a handful of moments within all of the movies that are really great, effects-wise, speaking effects-wise. Other than that, story content? Eh. little lost on me. Yeah, again, I feel like it had the same issues that Blair Witch, and, and really, in my opinion, 98% of found footage films have this problem. They are so focused on figuring out how to do various effects on such a shoestring budget or in such a medium that they don't really focus on story structure or character or any kind of story development whatsoever. Right. And so you end up with something that has some really cool moments in the first 30 minutes, and then it kind of fizzles out because it's not really going anywhere because there's not any story that right. has been thought out, you know? And not even talking about horror, in my opinion, Cloverfield and Chronicle, I think, for me, are the only found footage films that have ever really worked. Uh, well, that's not true. There is one other found footage film that, that for me, did work. And I think we're going to talk about that next, aren't we? If it's the one I'm thinking of, are we talking about Mr. Romero's film? Mr. Romero's film, and I know, I know I'm in the minority on it, I know most people don't like it, but Diary of the Dead, I think we saw that together, We actually. saw that together and in the theater. We were actually lucky, it was like the last showing. Yeah. We didn't even know it was showing at one of the local Werenberg theater chains, uh, uh, Ronnie's 20 in St. Louis, had no idea that it was actually showing. We thought we missed our chance because we had, it was such a small movie, we were going to have to wait for DVD. But one of the last showings that they had, we rushed out to the theater, and I enjoyed myself. I thought it was a very inventive way to remake your original movie for modern audiences while parodying the fact that our culture at the time, and still to this day, is video-obsessed. If you don't capture it on video, if, it's, if you don't see it on the web, it's not real. It didn't happen. Well, and also that our culture today is desensitized to this intense, horrible, grotesque violence. And I know a lot of horror films have gone into that topic and have dissected that, that idea, but I think for, for me, that's the one that really hit it on the head because this, here's this film that deals with this topic of being desensitized and, and just loving senseless violence and gore just for the sake of it. And as we're watching the film... 
if I remember correctly, I think there was, what, maybe four guys two rows ahead of us in the theater who were talking throughout the film and you mm. know, making noise. And if I remember correctly, the end of the film, there is a zombie that is hung mm-hmm. from a tree. And, of course, he's twitching and moving around and, and hanging in the tree. And some guys come by and they riddle him and just shoot the hell out of him. What's left is just his head. The top of his head, just actually. Just the top of his head. That's from like jaw. jaw. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just kind of twitching. And in the characters in the movie are hooting and hollering. The guys two rows ahead of us started cheering and yelling. And the credits rolled. And my first thought was, well, you guys two rows ahead of us just proved Romero's point. Mm-hmm. You just proved it right here in the theater. And you don't even realize it. Yeah. And I think that... More than more than the enjoyment I got just out of the film itself and out of Romero returning to the genre again, I think that was what solidified it for me as being a great experience and a great film was was how well he hit the nail on the head. Right. Well, Romero Romero has a knack for tapping into our cultural consciousness at the time, and it's reflected in the majority, not all of them, but the majority of his dead movies. Torture porn. I dislike the name of that subgenre, but I understand why it exists. I don't like some of the films that are placed in that category, and then I understand how some other films are totally placed in that subgenre. Torture porn, for those who are not in the know, and I don't know how you can't be, Even people who don't enjoy horror movies know that torture porn exists. Any film that has gratuitous violence and shows such violence is considered torture porn. There are a handful of films. The first film I want to talk about, and this is a film that I don't agree belongs in that category, is the original Saw, the first film. I can see though how how it would be considered torture porn and and I can also see how it may not have kicked off the torture porn subgenre mm-hmm. but I can certainly see how many consider it to be the first and the beginning. I agree with you. I would not necessarily consider it to be torture porn. I personally think it's pretty close to a stage play put on film in my opinion. I you know, I think its quality is amazing. In its in its writing, but yeah, no, I, I I can see it. I can see the, the the grotesqueness of it is probably what lends itself to that that moniker. Yeah, the fact that it does have graphic scenes of personal violence, if you take that away, this movie would be right up there on par with films like Psycho and Silence of the Lambs and Seven. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and Seven even could be considered another participant in the torture porn genre, even though it is mild compared to films like Saw and Hostel, another film that came out around the same time. Ooh, Hostel. Mm. I've only watched the first Hostel, and to me, it, it kind of felt like Saw. It felt like Saw only taken to a higher level. To me, it seems like films like Hostel, and and not saying that this is bad, and there's certainly an audience out there for it, and if so, then great, filmmakers continue making them. But it does seem to me like films like that are made with the sole purpose of just showing 
the violence and gore. Shock value. And, yeah, shock value. Absolutely. I don't have any use for that. I don't mind seeing graphic violence. I don't mind seeing yeah, heads exploding and people being ripped apart and things like that in a film if it connects to the story in some fashion or connects to the characters. But if it is there as the sole purpose of the thing, that doesn't connect with me too much. And I feel personally that Hostel and other films like it, like, you know, Rest Stop and... and Wolf Creek. Wolf Creek. Yeah, I feel like they all kind of do the same thing. Whereas with Saw, you have an incredibly well thought out story that has some of the most developed characters to the point where there are layers upon layers upon layers of these characters that you keep peeling away throughout the film and thereby giving your audience twists constantly. Oh, yeah. That constantly keep throwing you off guard and, and having one of the greatest twists I've ever seen in a, a horror film ever at the end of the film. And that, that makes that film a great film. Unfortunately, most of torture porn tries to copy that, and what they're copying is the wrong aspects of it. And that's where I believe that the rest of the series for Saw started going wrong, is it was, well, it goes back to what you were talking about before. The, the, we're desensitized. So it has to get more graphic and more gory and more bloody for people to be interested. And I don't think that that really is the case. It doesn't, it shouldn't be the case. Sadly, it is for some moviegoers. The interesting thing about torture porn is torture porn has existed for a long time and people just really didn't notice it. Case in point, let's go back to the first two films that the late, great Wes Craven directed. Let's talk about Last House on the Left. Let's talk about The Hills Have Eyes. These are films that are riddled with violent content. But it's not violence for violence sake. It's violence because it's a violent world. And violence like this, personal violence like this upon a family or a member of a family is horrific in itself. You know, as as you were saying, I agree with you completely. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying that, it just kind of dawned on me just now here in this moment, a light bulb went off over my head, that I think the thing that separates films like that from the current crop of torture porn films and, and keeps films like Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes and things of that nature out of that genre is the fact that it does exactly what you said. It makes some sort of commentary about the world that we live in or it develops a story that in some manner connects with an audience on an emotional level of some sort. Because as I'm thinking about it, technically, there are films about sadistic monsters torturing people that go all the way back to the silent era. So really, no, if you true. really wanted to talk about it, yeah, I guess the torture porn subgenre could really be accredited to the silent era. But yet we don't consider those films as part of the subgenre. And I think that that's why. I think it's because there is more substance to those films. Whereas this current crop of torture, por tor torture porn films... That's all they are. Right. That's that's all they have, and it's just a couple of scenes of mindless, cookie-cutter, conveyor belt exposition strung together through scenes of violent images. And that I think that may be what torture porn really is to me. That's my opinion. 
Well, I want to take the time to ask the audience, is there something that we listed that you don't agree is torture porn? Is there something that we forgot? Did we miss something that screams torture porn? Head on over to our website, twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out that little web form and tell us what you think. Micro-budget horror. Ah, uh, micro-budget horror. Can we actually say that that subgenre has been good to us, or does it, <laughs> does it not qualify? Should we not say that? I th- well, first of all, uh, people are confu- are probably confused right now. Let, first of all, let's let people know exactly what we're talking about. Micro-budget is exactly what you think. It's a film that was made on an extremely small budget. Now, Jason, you're the, you're the master thespian. <laughs> Let me tell tell me tell the audience exactly what micro budget filmmaking is. I don't know that there is one definitive definition out there for micro budget filmmaking that you can adhere to and say, "Oh, well this is exactly what it is." And there's no questions asked. I, I don't think that there's anything like that mm-hmm. for it. But I think the general consensus is anything that is about a million or 2 million dollar budget or less would be considered a micro-budget film. Now, most people do consider things below a $1 million budget to be micro-budget. They don't consider a $1.5 million budget film to be micro-budget. But mm. I, I do. I have seen it on some websites where they do consider those to be yeah. micro-budget. So for these purposes, I think, and in my opinion, and I'm assuming and believe that you agree with me, micro-budget is really below $1 million budget. And that can be anywhere from... You know, these films that go direct to DVD that have eight, nine hundred thousand dollars to a film that is made in a backyard with a camcorder for five thousand dollars, <laughs> which or five hundred dollars or five hundred. And that's just basically to feed people. If that sometimes. Well, the reason why we it's actually a selfish reason we've put micro budget horror films in this podcast is because Jason and I have actually done micro budget horror films. Uh, we've done one together, and he's done a handful on his own. The one that we did together is a little film called Killers by Nature. Oh, man. First of all, I want, I want to state right up front that there is nothing wrong with working on a micro-budget horror film. Funny thing is, is that a lot of the micro-budget horror films are considered torture porn. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is because, you know, if you only have two three thousand dollars to make a film sometimes it is easier to set it in modern day and have a killer that wears a mask and you know and kills buckets people, and buckets, buckets of, of blood, blood and yeah. kills people with a hammer because you have a hammer in your garage right. and you have access to it yeah. so it makes it easier but it is you know i would i would consider it more of a micro budget film even if it is torture porn you know because of its because of its budget jason do me a favor and explain the plot of killers by nature Killers by Nature. Oh. Killers by Nature is uh, about two high school friends, uh, Jeffrey and, gosh. Can't even remember your character. I can't even remember the character I played. Boy, how about that? It was a long time ago. What was, what was his name? It was Jeff, he was Jeffrey, wasn't he? I, I don't know. Who, care, who cares about the character's name? Okay. Don't worry about the character. Okay. Just two high school friends that All just, right. gra- why are you doing this? I can do this better. <laughs> uh, so, Killers by Nature follows two uh, uh, recent high school graduates who have been picked on all throughout their high school career by the local high school bullies. 
And they have decided that now that they've graduated, they are going to make life miserable for their old classmates and basically just kind of scare them. They're not out to do anything worse than that. They're just going to scare them. And, of course, when they go to scare the first classmate, played by Mr. Nicholas Hearn. Oh, yeah. Things go horribly wrong, and and my character ends up taking it to an extreme, and they kill that character. They kill the the bully, and yes. then of course that spirals and 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 goes downward from there, which is kind of interesting considering you know the amount of public and school violence that has gone on in this country since this film was made, and and I always thought that you know the film was written I believe before Columbine. Uh, written before Columbine, but written, shot after, but shot the, after the, the tragedy there. And so I, I always thought at the time that, boy, this you know, if this was developed, this could really, really be a commentary on the treatment of students and, and high schoolers and teenagers' ability to cope with such treatment. And I thought, wow, this is this could be a really good idea. This could really go into something. And of course, you know, on a micro budget, it, it could only go so far. Right. And therefore you know, did not reach its aspirations, uh, I don't think. But but it is interesting how it eerily, on a very small scale, eerily predicted a dark future for us. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I remember working on a micro-budget horror film is everybody pitches in. I wasn't even supposed to be in the film. I was not cast in this film. That's right. You were a grip, weren't you? You, you brought me along because the director was like, oh, if you got anybody that wanted to wants to work on crew, cool. And I showed I was like, yeah, I want to work on crew. And then I became almost all of the crew. Well, and I think that was because the guy that was originally supposed to play the role just didn't show. Never showed up. He, he dropped off up. the face of the earth, which is often something that occurs in micro-budget film, even at the eight nine $900,000 level. On that level, obviously, people are getting paid. On the level of Killers by Nature, people are not getting paid. Right. But, but in both cases, there's a lot of extra time that is volunteered. And so oftentimes, since people are volunteering their time, they will just drop and they will just walk out. And you have to scramble at the last minute to find somebody to replace whatever position is now left open. And in this case, you, uh, you got chucked into that, I, <laughs> into that I role. I started my acting career on film as a body double. And ended up playing the character that I was body doubling for. So yeah, it worked out well. It's uh, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. That's micro budget filmmaking here in the Midwest. That's that's one example. But there's another great example that Jason, I know you were a part of, and unfortunately I missed out on because I wasn't in the area. But you did you did a little uh, vampire thriller here in St. Louis about six seven years ago called Shadowland. Yeah, Shadowland with uh, Pirate Pictures and writer-director Wyatt Weed. I played a vampire hunter chasing after a female vampire who has awakened in present day with essentially amnesia and doesn't even realize that she's a vampire. She just knows that she's being chased and hunted by mm. this strange person who is me. You're definitely I'm a strange I'm person. I'm definitely strange. I myself am strange and unusual. <laughs> um, <laughs> bonus points to anybody that can pick out that quote. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it is, uh, you know, as I said earlier, it's ironic that vampires and vampire films are not really, I, I don't dislike them, but they're not necessarily my favorite genre, and yet 
I ended up making a vampire film. But that was a film that I believe had roughly somewhere around a quarter of a million dollar budget. So still a micro-budget film, but right. much higher than what Killers by Nature was. I mean, much, much higher. It looked like Hollywood compared to what we went through there. And again, you know, you go through the same the same things, even on that level, as you would on a smaller film than that, even. The difference there is that, you know, we had uh, a great writer and a great director. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a great production team with Robert Clark and Gail Gallagher. You know, the script was good, the characters were well written, and and the idea was original and different for a, a vampire film. And I think that that kind of helped push that film along. Speaking personally, I, I mean, I've, I've seen the film and I've seen the special effects in the film, and the special effects used in the film, I would have gone saying that the, the film would have had a bigger budget. It's actually very impressive. All in camera, too. All camera practical effects. effects. There's no CGI. Now, there's a lot of compositing, that is done, uh, which, you know, you're taking various different images and putting them together. Mm. So, you know, oftentimes it will look like, oh, does that vampire have CGI wings? No, he doesn't. The wings are separate. They were shot separately. The actor was shot separately. It's all kind of put together and spliced together. So it's 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 composited, but it's all practical, which is very interesting that, that why it ended up going that route. And very cool. It's like the old movies from the, the 70s and 80s. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to talking more in depth about practical effects versus digital effects in this age of the digital domain in a later episode. So definitely be on the lookout for that, folks. We are running along on this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. The Feedback Gauntlet. What podcast will offer you a hundred bucks cash to tell people what you think? There isn't another one out there. And it's time for you to tell us what you think right now. Check out twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet to jump into the Two Guys Talking Feedback Gauntlet. We're looking for feedback about any program we have on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Follow the short instructions at twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet and you're entered instantly for a hundred bucks cash. What's this? Cash? For telling people what you think? Yes, cash. For telling people what you think. Twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Being an outcast isn't something that all of us feel every now and then. It's been the subject of stories forever. Take, for example, the X-Men comic book series. In 1963, we were introduced to a number of characters that were different. Super strength. Plasma bolts emitted from eye sockets. The ability to read minds. A man that could fly with angel's wings. In 2000, 
we were introduced to the X-Men on the silver screen. There, Professor X would teach not only his mutant students, but us, as viewers of film, what it meant to be a mutant. There have been more X-Men movies, and even another coming up. But where can you find the best discussion of all of the X-Men movies? Be sure to check out the X-Men Perspective Review Series at twoguystalking.com forward slash X-Men. Bullet point based detailed discussion from fans, fanboys, and mutants just like you. Join in the homo superior discussion at twoguystalking.com forward slash X-Men. That's the number two, guystalking.com forward slash X-Men. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising could have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Welcome back, everybody, to Two Guys Talking Horror. Talk about now that we've gone through some of the more smaller yet popular subgenres of horror films, I'd like to take this time to talk about our personal favorite subgenres of the horror film. Jason, what is your favorite genre or subgenre of horror? I think I would have to go with haunted houses, ghost stories. I think that would be probably my favorite, hands down. And, and, and maybe even to get specific, period, horror films. Mm. Things like uh, Women in Black or uh, uh, The Others, you know, The Innocents, to, to get a little more uh, classic. But, you know, I, I think Ghost Stories and uh, Haunted Houses, I think, probably are my, my favorite of all the subgenres. I just love it. And, and I've, got a, I've got a horror, a haunted house horror film in me. Uh, one day. One day? One day. I, I would have to agree with you. One of, uh, since I, 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 will, I will come up with a, an, another genre because you stole mine, which is fine. You know, I'm a giving guy. I agree with you. The, I'm the, a taking guy. <laughs> the, the haunted house, the, the supernatural, paranormal, that stuff intrigues me all to hell because I've had certain it's, experiences in my life that prove to me that there are other forces somewhere that uh, like to go it's fascinating and when you have those because I've, I've had some of those experiences too when you have those experiences you can't help but be intrigued even if whether you believe in it or not it, it doesn't matter you, you can't help but just wonder you know a guy in a mask killing the babysitter or a monster made from dead parts all of that is cool and mm. I'm certainly going to be there front and center to see a movie like that but th that's all fun you know the, the supernatural stuff there, there's a sense of plausibility to it. Right. Even if there isn't, there is more plausibility there than to the others. Total agreement. But since I can't pick the supernatural as my favorite genre, Sorry. I will go with my second favorite genre, 
which is zombies. Mm. Zombies, out of all of the quote-unquote movie monsters, zombies are the things that scare me the most. I mean, uh, let's look at it. Vampires, uh, they suck your blood and you're either dead or you come back and you're you're a vampire and you're going to suck some blood and blood. Werewolf, uh, you're either torn apart and used as a chew toy or you're going to come back and get furry for three nights out of the month when the full moon shows up. And then you just need to get a good pair of shears and well, yeah. a decent razor. And, and you gotta, you got to watch out and be careful because somebody might try to neuter you. That's a possibility, yeah. Zombies are the only movie monsters that will devour you, and then you come back, but you don't come back. It's as if you're trapped. As Vincent Price would say, you're locked inside a corpse's shell. It's creepy to think that as a zombie, there might be some little bit of you in there going, oh God, please, somebody just shoot me in the head already. It's terrifying to be eaten alive, and then whatever's left over gets up and starts eating people alive as well. It just, as, as a young adult, as a kid, zombie movies always gave me nightmares. To this day, I, I, I will still, every once in a while, I'll have a zombie nightmare and wake up and go like, whoo, what the hell happened there? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, you know, it's one of my favorite subgenres too. And, and me too. I'll, I'll still have crazy, zombie dreams and they're some of the most terrifying dreams or nightmares i guess in that case well that's where we ask you the audience what is your favorite genre or subgenre of horror is it one of the ones that we've listed here did did we forget something we didn't list everything we don't have the time but if there was one that we should have had on the show let us know head on over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com Click anywhere on the right side, fill out our little web form, and tell us what you think we missed. Sadly, ladies and gentlemen, another episode has come to a close. Jason and I have talked all about a lot of different things in Mm -hmm. in horror, but the bottom line is that no matter what subgenre you're talking about, there's always a grain of great storytelling hidden somewhere yeah whether it be the found footage genre torture porn sci-fi horror or even micro budget horror movies Mm -hmm. it's my hope that we direct you towards these great hidden gems in any of these subgenres until next time i'm nicholas j hearn your host and i'm jason contini reminding you don't be afraid of the dark Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions, comments, suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself... 
It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast.